0: Philippians chapter 3, we'll look at verses 7 through uh, 11 this morning. I want to start off by saying I'm I'm going to spare you from all of the uh, cheesy April 1st, uh, April Fool's Jesus is risen jokes. Um, But if you see any good ones online of church signs, send them to me. I would love to see those. Um, But I will say, uh, whether you grew up in in church your whole life, if you've never been to church before before until now, or maybe you're somewhere in between, there's something uh, in this passage For you. Um, Because one of the main distinctions of Christianity from all the other religions is that we worship a God who we believe has risen from the grave and is alive and is present with us today. And for the Christian, the resurrection is our power. And what I mean by that, and and this is a, a bold statement that I'm about to say because we believe that Jesus has risen from the grave, we believe that we have the capability to have more joy and more hope than anyone else in the rest of the world. And so my goal this morning is to show you uh, how that is. And so this morning, I think you're going to see a miracle unfold before you because you're going to see the power of the resurrection. Also, I'm going to try to do this in under 25 minutes, which would also be a miracle. But What we see is an accurate picture of this life that we can have. Through the power of the resurrection, we see this accurate picture through a man who's lived this out, and that's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and in Philippians chapter three, he's going to begin to talk about the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul was an apostle of Jesus, which means he was an eyewitness. He saw Jesus Christ after he died and after he rose. Paul was confronted by the Lord Jesus Himself on the road to Damascus, and Acts chapter 9. Paul was a man who, from that point on, he, his life was transformed, and Paul began to suffer for the Lord Jesus. He began to preach the good news of the gospel, and then people would persecute him. They would beat him. They would throw him in prison. And Paul was seemingly the man who suffered the most in the New Testament, yet, He simultaneously had the most joy. He talked about joy more than anyone else in the New Testament. And so Paul was a man who suffered greatly, but also seemingly had the most joy. And this is how our hope can be, too. And he was a man who lived out this concept that we can have more hope and joy than the rest of the world. Paul was a man who started the church of Philippi. As he went around as a missionary, he would go and plant churches in in cities and towns that really needed the gospel. Philippi was one of his favorite places. Uh, as he planted this church and he began to see people come to know Christ, they actually became some of Paul's closest and dearest friends. Paul was with them for 18 plus months as he began to raise up this church, raise up leaders in the church, raise up elders in the church that would continue in the mission that he began. And in what uh, happened is Paul left this church to go and then start new churches all around Asia Minor, all around um, Jerusalem, all around this region. And then you begin to see the gospel spread through church planting. But now Paul is writing this letter some roughly 11 years after he left this These precious people to Paul, and he begins to write them, telling them how grateful he is to them, telling them how much he misses them, how much he loves them. And so Paul is writing this letter to them to encourage them to continue to stay faithful to the gospel that they heard from the Apostle Paul about Jesus. And as he's writing this letter, Paul is a man who, at this point in his life, had already faced a tremendous amount of suffering. And now Paul is in a Roman prison, shackled to a guard. And this is sort of like the way that Romans would do house arrest. And they would do this really while you were on trial to be uh, killed based on what you've done. And so Paul was on house arrest, and it's not like house arrest here, where you get a GPS like band on your on your um, ankle, and you can still go to like Disney World if you want to. It's nothing like that. This is actually house arrest for Rome, is you were trained to a prison guard 24 hours a day, and Paul would do this for two years of his life. And as Paul is under this house arrest, trained to a prison guard 24 hours a day, and if you're an introvert like me, that would be hell, Um, but he's trained to a prison guard 24 hours a day for two years, he's writing to the church of Philippi, and he's encouraging them to stay faithful to the gospel. And Paul, as he's writing this, he knows he's likely going to die soon, and we know if you read Paul, because he believed of Jesus' resurrection, he's not afraid of death, but here He's faced all this persecution, and he knows that the church of Philippi is likely nearing persecution themselves. And so in chapter 3, Paul begins to become very reflective. He remembers the things that he did in this past, and he remembers, he's reminding the church not to find hope in temporary things, but rather look forward to what they have and what they will have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the ways that Paul does this is in chapter 3, he begins talking about, his old life, the way that he was before Christ. And he begins talking about really his Jewish heritage, his Jewish pedigree. He begins talking about how he was born of this great Jewish family and this Jewish tribe. He begins talking about how he was trained to be one of the most religious elite. And he begins talking about how he was really a poster child from what every Israelite family wanted their little boys to grow up to be. And Paul, as he says this, he says, hey, it didn't matter. It was actually worthless to Paul. Paul was this religious zealot and he was the kind of guy that grew up in the church. He's the kind of guy that did sword drills. If you grew up in the church, you know what sword drills are, Bible trivia, right? He's the kind of guy who knew all the lyrics to, Lord, I lift your name on high, and he knew all the hand motions that went with it, right? He knew how to do this. He knew how to do this. And I don't, even, I don't know where you came from, but if you don't know uh, what that is, you're not missing anything, all right? But this is Paul. He would have had all of these things. He would have been the poster child. He would have been the youth group All-Star. And as he talks about his religious trophies in the past, I want you to see how he looks at them now through the lenses of the gospel. Philippians 3, chapter 7, he says, whatever, I ha- whatever gain I had, what all, the- all the religious experiences that I had in the past, he says, I counted as, what's the word? Loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of surpassing worth notice what he's saying i look at what i've done in the past it's lost why he says because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my lord for his sake for Jesus sake i suffered the loss of all things and i counted them as rubbish In order that I might gain Christ. Notice the strong language of all of his religious baggage, all of his religious past, all of the things that he would have thought were good things. He says, rubbish. Some of your translations say, dung. And if you don't know what dung is, you can ask a small group leader when they leave and they can tell you what dung is. But it's waste. He says it's a waste. Where does Paul find his worth? Was not in what he does. Rather, he says, is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want you to see how intimate he describes his relationship with his Creator. He doesn't say, "Um, I found the surpassing worth by knowing about Christ. He says, knowing Christ, my Lord. He makes it personal, he makes it intimate. He says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so what Paul is describing about Christianity is that Christianity, first and foremost, is a relationship with Jesus. And this is significant, friends, because when we were born, we were not born friends with Jesus. And we were not born friends with Jesus because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, the very first people who ever walked this earth. They rebelled against God. And because they rebelled against God, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, uh, because of Adam's sin, we all sin. All of us carry the same curse that our first parents did, Adam and Eve. And so because of that, we are born at war with God. We are born enemies with God and not friends of God. In other words, there's no, we can't do enough in and of ourselves to be in good standing with God. We can't do enough to save ourselves. And this is why Paul says it in Romans 9, or Philippians 3, verse 9. He says, And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, in other words, that comes from things that you do, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God That depends on faith. So here's what Paul is saying in verses 7 through 9. Through Christ, we actually, sinners, actually have the ability to know God. And when we know God, Paul is going to then communicate that once we know God, we find nothing as precious as him. And that's the beautiful truth that Paul shows us and that's the beautiful truth that I hope we leave here today with. However, there's another side to Paul's story that I also want you to see that's a bit more sobering. Because what Paul's life does in his story is he shows us that this idea that you can have all the religious background and practices and you can still live your life and not really know Christ. Because knowing Christ isn't about attending church, which is what Paul would have done as a young child. He would have attended the temple, but he didn't know Christ. Now, I will say if you know Christ, you should be a part of the church. But Paul also shows us that knowing Christ isn't about just serving or giving. But if you know Christ, you should sacrificially love and you should sacrificially give. Knowing Christ isn't just studying scripture, but if you know Christ, you will have a newfound love for God's word. Knowing Christ isn't something that we do. But the sad thing is this world is full of people who fill their lives with, re- with religious activity and they don't know Christ. This was Paul before he saw the risen Christ. And this is many people around us in eastern North Carolina they live their lives and they fill them up with religious practice, with religious. Well, my grandma was a believer and I grew up in church and I was baptized when I was young. And I, you know, I have all these religious stories. I won these trophies when I was a kid because I built this birdhouse and gave it away. You know, and you have all of these things and the religious practices. But unless you understand the power of the res, risen Christ, unless you're truly a believer in Christ, it will not save you. Then he tells us how a person know, knows Christ. We see it in verse 9. He says, It's not the righteousness that comes from the law, what we do. Rather, it's righteousness that comes through faith. He says, But that which uh, comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. Here's, here's what Paul says that's so significant. First of all, we have to understand that God is righteous and that we are unrighteous. And in order to have a relationship with God because he's holy and he's perfect, we have to be righteous. And God can't just look at us and declare us righteous because that would be unjust and he would be a liar. So in order for us to have a relationship with our creator, we have to be made righteous. So how are we made righteous? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 6, he says, For we were still weak. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows uh, his love for us in that while we were sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, which is we've been made right before our creator. How are we made right? He says, by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. For if we were were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. How are we reconciled to God? Does he say it's it's something that you do? Does he say it's this religious practice? Is these rituals that you must follow? No. He says, what does he say? It's verse 9, Romans 5, by his blood, by Jesus' blood that we're saved from the wrath of God. What does he say in verse 10? We were enemies of God. How are we reconciled to our creator? He says, by the death of his one and only son. In other words, he, God, through his love for us, raised up a truer and better Adam, who was born of a virgin, who didn't carry the curse of sin that we carry. And Jesus, as he was born of a virgin, was tempted in every single way as we've been tempted, yet Jesus did not sin. And then Jesus went to the cross For our sin, He died in our place. He absorbed the wrath of God that all of us, because we were born enemies with God, Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God. And through His absorption of God's wrath, He became a perfect sacrifice in our place. And that, friends, is how you and I are made right. By believing the gospel and repenting and acknowledging in our sins and our surrendering our life to that truth. That's good news. Amen. And so once you believe in this truth and you're made right and how you know if you're made right, you begin to want to be more like Jesus, You have the ability to be like Jesus because once you become a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God who makes you more like Jesus. And you begin to love Jesus and you begin to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. You're going to want to know who he is and trust him and abide in him. And this is what the Apostle Paul says is true about his own life. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, he says, That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his, Jesus' suffering, being like him, being like Jesus, see that? In his death, that by any means possible, I, Paul, may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, you want to know why Paul was willing to suffer for Christ? You want to know why he had this unbelievable joy even in the midst of suffering? You want to know why he wanted to mimic Christ with his life? It's because of of this one statement, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul was willing to suffer and die like Jesus was willing to suffer or that Jesus did suffer and die because Paul knew how it was all going to turn out. Paul knew that once Jesus died, that Jesus would rise, and so Paul knew, okay, if Jesus died and I mimic Jesus' life, then my life too, as I suffer and as I die, that Jesus would also raise me up as he rose himself up from the grave. Paul knew that death could not hold Jesus in the grave, and that's why three days later he rose from the grave. And this is Paul's message to the church at Philippi, so they would have, they would know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we too will rise. The world did not defeat, the world cannot defeat us because it did not defeat Jesus our Savior. The grave will not defeat us because it could not uh, defeat Jesus our Savior. All of us, unless Christ returns, will physically die. Christ will return, but I'm saying while you're alive, right? But the resurrection shows us that we will rise again and we will have eternal life with the Lord Jesus. So here's what we should do with this truth. Here's what it means to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It gives us unbelievable joy because we know one day we will rise. I um, grew up in Eastern North Carolina. My mom and I would take a trip together um, to the beach every year, to Atlantic Beach. And uh, in Atlantic Beach this time, this is like late 80s, early 90s, um, there was this pizza parlor there on Atlantic Beach, and it had like these arcade games. And so what would happen is my mom would always order the food, and I would she'd give me a quarter, and I would go play, you know, one of the arcade games. And uh, if you don't know what an arcade game is, you're a millennial, like it's think about like the the apps on your phone, think about them like blown up like a hundred thousand times bigger, and, and it's right there. Um, and so you had so my mom would give me a quarter. Okay, you got one game and you could play, and I'd order the food, and my mom was waiting, you know, and, and so she's sitting at the table, I'm playing the game, and every kid who grew up. In the 80s and 90s, maybe even like late 70s, you, you put the quarter in, you play the game, and then you die. And then it says, insert more coins. And then it has a countdown. You know, 10, 9, 8, and so you're rushing to get, you know, the quarter in. But if you didn't have a quarter, it didn't matter because no matter what, you were always going to hit the start button, hoping that it would just give you, like, the free quarter, or maybe someone accidentally put a quarter in before, and you get another life. But most of the time, click, 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 click. Oh, man, I'm not going to come back to life. Well, this particular time, I was at the console, and it was RoboCop was the game. RoboCop was the game. I was sitting here playing RoboCop. I died really early. What do I do? Press start, click, 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 click. And it went bling. And I'm like, no way, I have another life. So I begin to play, and then what happened? A few minutes later, I die. What happens? Bling, it came back. I have another life. This is unbelievable. I'm looking over my shoulder, making sure I feel almost guilty. Play again, die. Bling over and over and over again. Somebody must have put a 1,000 quarters in there. And every time I die, I come to life. And man, at this point, like I'm 40 minutes in. I'm playing with swag. I don't care. Kill me. I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to beat this game. It doesn't matter what happens, right? Unless that time goes down with 10 seconds, 10 seconds, run, go get pizza, press the button, ding, I'm back in. I'm, I'm going to play all the way to the end. 45 hour later, I don't know how long it was. It felt like an eternity. I beat the game. I beat the game because I knew that no matter what, I was going to come back to life. And friends, I want to tell you, that is our reality now. It's our reality now because our Savior went before us and died and rose again. And so what I want to tell you, the reason why Paul was so confident, The reason why he was so confident to say, yeah, I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to die, I know my Savior did it. The reason why he was so confident is because he knew that Christ would rise him from the grave. He knew this was not the end. He knew this wasn't it. He knew it was finished and he knew that Christ had risen so he would also rise. And so what I want to tell you, this life is not it for you, believer. This is the hope that you have in Christ. You will rise again. And so when you approach this world and you're suffering and you're in pain and you man, you don't want to be bold about the gospel. Or maybe you're afraid to share the gospel with your neighbor or with your friend or your family member or your coworker, I want to tell you, this suffering that you face, you are going to live again. And when you live again, your new life in heaven with the Lord Jesus is far greater. And so I want to tell you that, believer in Christ. Because Christ has risen, you will rise. And because you will rise, you can live this life sacrificially. You can live this life with joy because you know this is not the end. Which also means you can live this life in freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. This is your hope if you're a believer in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ... My hope is this, that you would know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. If you're not a believer in Christ, the sobering word I have for you is this, sin will defeat you. The grave will defeat you. But I want you to look at the power of the resurrection. That there's freedom in the good news of the gospel. And the only freedom that you can have this morning is what the same freedom that Paul has from all of his religious baggage. And that's to know Christ. And when you know Christ, you will find nothing else as precious. Because if you're not a believer in Christ, my hope is this morning that you would repent of your sins, that you would know that your sin offended your creator, but you would also recognize that God in his love for us sent his son to die in your place, and that you would surrender your life to Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, it's worth it. So my hope is, as we leave this place today, that we would know him and the power of his resurrection. God help us. Let's pray.